0: Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au.
4: Solidarity forever!
0: Good morning,
3: everybody. This is Annie for Solidarity Breakfast. And today we're going to Peppermint Place. Now we're going to concentrate on uh, the uh, importance of uh, the amenities, the amenities we live in, the environment we live in. And environment doesn't just mean the bush, the deserts, the natural environment, if that's even... uh, The the whole concept of pristine environment is... uh, Natural environment seems uh, probably uh, overblown. The idea of it is a bit overblown, but... uh, We live, all of us who are in the city, we live in urban environments and uh, I had the great opportunity last Saturday to go to a little corner of Cobourg Peppermint Place, Peppermint Tree Place. Uh, that was just a t- an incredible surprise to me. Uh, it's a piece of uh, natural environment crea- created by the locals, effectively. Uh, it's got a, a, a nursery, it's got uh, vol- uh, a whole range of things. But anyway, this report outlines the things that are going on there and why it's so important to the community. Uh, and uh, a guard action has been uh, taken uh, against Uh, the existence of uh, Pepper Tree Place Uh, and the report explains what's going on there too Uh, the auspicing organisation Uniting is uh, going to sell it off close it down and Surprise, surprise, the community is up in arms. So uh, it's preparing to fight a big battle. So this is about, uh, this story is an important story because it's about the actual worlds that we actually live in and uh, the determination that uh, local communities must have in order to protect the amenity and the places that they love. So I'm not. I'm not going to muck around. We're going to go straight into this. The first part of this is about explaining what Pepper Pepper Tree Place is, the event that took place on Saturday, and we'll later follow it up with some comments from the people who actually use it. So here we go.
0: I started at Pepper Tree Place as a volunteer and became a uh, staff member in 2010 and stayed on for about three years. Um, And I was uh, caring for the relationships here, so I was coordinating volunteers and program development during that time. So now I'm just an active supporter. Um, I guess I've continued to volunteer in different ways since leaving Pepper Tree Place. Um, what happens
3: at Pepper Tree Place, though? So?
0: Okay, so Pepper Tree Place is a beautiful uh, community green space. So I wouldn't just call it a community garden, but it is a garden. What it also has is a nursery, a cafe, and a whole lot of different organisations who come through and use this space um, together.
3: Yeah, and this is a quite a big developing area out in Coburg, isn't it?
0: It is, and I think it would be really disappointing to lose something at the heart of it that is essentially so valuable especially as Coburg changes and becomes a higher density.
3: Yeah, um, wh- why, why do you need to save it? Why is it being moved on?
0: I guess we can say thank you to Uniting uh, for the 15 years of care that it has offered to Pepper Tree Place and that is an organisation who um, under different names has uh, supported this the growth and development of this space Uh, In a recent merger, I guess, a decision was made that Peppertoo Place was um, costing too much and that it would be closed. So we've been given a very tight time frame in which to um, respond as a community to try and find a solution to keep it going.
3: Why is it important to keep?
0: I think that you can see and uh, read some of the responses from people. Um, One of the ones that hit me really uh, in the heart the other day was a volunteer who um, is an older woman, maybe 86, who has been volunteer here for 11 years and she just said very simply I've been here for 11 years and I really don't want to see it go. G'day
3: Thanks. Liz, I'm from 3CR and I've uh, come to report on what's happening here at Pe- Tree Place. G'day. G'day, how are you? Can you tell me what this place means to you?
5: Uh, look, I've written quite a few things about what this place means to me and one of the things that keeps coming to the top is that it's a place that gives hope and support, just by the very existence in the community, it gives support for the, so many people who are working in, in Moreland and further afield to change the way we live so it's sustainable on the planet. And so it's the, the existence of it itself, and, the, and w- uh, many of us who uh, volunteer here and do a whole range of different things come at whatever rate, right, weekly, daily, monthly, and get and feel supported I mean we do, we're working we're giving on mainly involved in the food swap and the uh, food swap itself is a testament to uh, food sovereignty uh, sharing economy uh, support and sharing information and knowledge and skills so that means all of those things and much more
3: Now, uh, they say that uh, because of a merger the, the figures don't add up all right if
5: people want to come in they can go towards- uh, then The figures are based on, um, I believe, on erroneous assumptions. So, um, I I, I think that a community, uh, as we take over, if the community takes over, we or whoever, it's going to be, it'll be profitable in so many ways.
2: Pepper Tree Place. I'm just like probably a lot of you. I visit here occasionally. Um, I bring my my daughters down here on a on a Saturday morning, so we can just you know have a nice free space to run around and enjoy. Um, there's a lot of people that are involved in Pepper Tree Place. I'm just you know just come just come along just recently, and and part of what I I saw was I came down here one day and got chatting to the volunteers, and they told me about the fact that. Um, Pepper Tree Place was going to close sort of towards the end of this year Um, and then it started popping up all over the place and and in different spots so I created um, Save Pepper Tree Place as a way to kind of gather us all together and try and look at what we can do as a community to try and ensure that this place stays open for the future. Um, But to me, you know, like I'm I'm just in the regular visitor but there are so many of the volunteers who are here today we, there's about, from my understanding, there's about sixty regular volunteers who come down and, and work at Pepper Tree Peppertree Place on a regular basis. So that could be every week or a very regularly come down and make sure this place stays open. Just a minute, brother. No no. Um, so just for pe- a bit of background for people, um, Kildonan started Pepper Tree Place about 15 years ago. It's operated as a social enterprise through the nursery and the cafe. Um, as I said, there's a number of volunteers who come and work here regularly. Um, part of why we're here today is Kildonan um, and Uniting Care and, and 23 around 20 or 23 other agencies have merged. Um, in, as part of that merger, they've been rationalizing some of the programs that they run and they've decided Tree Place is one of those that they're gonna rationalize and close. Um, so we're, we're, they were originally gonna close the site in November. However, they recently brought it forward and have indicated that they're now gonna close the site sort of toward, uh, sort of the first week of September. So time is really tight for us now. We've got only a few weeks to try and get a resolution to how can we keep Tree Place going. Um, so the group that sort of formed around this—a a little history—we started with a group of twelve people about three weeks ago. The following week, we had sixty people. Last week, we had just a core group of people, but twenty-three people turned up. Um, we've had a thousand people sign the the petition already in a in a, a little over a week, um, and we've got four hundred people who've gathered onto the um, Save Pepper Tree Place. Um, Facebook page. So, we've. I think, you know, that's amazing. an amazing effort done by this whole community in just such a short space of time. So, I think a round of applause to everyone for gathering around. Um, I'm going to hand over now to, we had a meeting with Uniting, a few of our, our group had a meeting with Uniting yesterday. So, um, Just to explain, sorry, I'll set back one. Um, Uniting is the um, auspicing body of Pepper Tree Place. They're they're the amalgamation of Kildonan and all those other agencies. They lease this site off Uniting Church um, through the Uniting Church um, Coburg and the the Victorian Synod. So we've had a meeting with Uniting yesterday to try and pitch to them that they need to... um, give us some more time to allow us to come up with some solutions for how this place can continue to operate. Um, But I'm going to hand over to Ross and Diana who are going to talk a little bit about that meeting yesterday and the programs um, that have been operating through Pepper Tree Place over
6: time. Hello everyone, I'd have to say that it's very humbling because I've been involved here since 2005. Uh, I just sort of wanted to illustrate some of the, the the various programs and things that have happened over that time um, you know it's been quite dynamic with you know the Coburg Primary School and other school groups coming and using the space uh, we've had relationships with uh, the Multicultural Women's Selling Group where through um, um, Multicultural Victoria we ran a whole uh, lot of sessions of looking at different community groups and, and their, their, their beliefs and, and And sharing, and food, and culture, and all that sort of stuff. Um, We've worked with uh, community health and council around sort of food security issues for the broader uh, community. Um, And you know, we've run worked with old programs where we've sort of worked with people to sort of rebuild their self-esteem and re-engage with the the workforce. Um, And look, it's been dynamic. There's been lots of different shifts and moves, Um, we've had our regular fiestas, we've done events like um, Sun Plug, which was with Planet Ark as a fundraiser for Save the Reef, lots and lots and lots of different things. There is great community involvement in this space Uh, and currently it's regrettable that we're uniting, so in the the, um, amalgamation process that's happened is as uh, was alluded before, the uh, rationalising everything. I think what's most troubling is that we've just been given three weeks until this place is closed to the public. So there's no time that we've been able, or very, you know, such little amount of time to be given for us as passionate um, volunteers or community members to find a resolve to this situation. And we firmly believe that there is a resolve to this situation but we need time and I cannot understand why that time will not be given. We asked them again at a meeting yesterday and they flatly refused to enter into any negotiation. We will give it one more try and I believe with the assistance of council to facilitate that process and hopefully they can understand that the passion behind this is to keep it going. Now if they need to step out that's fine but allow the time to facilitate a transition process so this community center the community involved with this can still retain this site as far as we know the, the local church is supportive uh, and we'll progress with those discussions but as I said time is essential um, I'm not sure what else to add at the moment <laughs>
7: I'll, I'll just say a little bit. My name's Diana Cotter. Um, Height difference.
6: <laughs>
7: is that okay? I okay. so we'll um, try again. My name is Diana Cotter. Um, I've been involved with uh, Pepper Tree Place for a long time. I actually designed uh, all this section here, and then Ross and the volunteers and the work for the Dole Crowd constructed it all. So I've got a, a big sort of passion for it. <laughs> um, So I also run the gardening program for Coburg School, so we use these grounds. The kids absolutely love it. It's such a touchy-feely sort of program that we run, uh, which is quite hard to find anywhere else. So that school is exceptionally lucky to be able to use these grounds as well as uh, the the, the gardens over there. Um, So uh, yeah, uh, just to carry on from where Ross was saying, um, I've I've experienced being part of all these events and groups that have gone on. We have only got, I think it's 12 days before the volunteers before this site is closed to the public. Um, We had a meeting with council, and they've been extremely supportive, and we're very, very grateful. Whereas Nalaka, I'm not sure where she's gone, but um, so it's possible that they might be able to do a temporary auspice um, until uh, the end of November. As Ross keeps saying, we really need that time to try to set something up. Um, We've also got no money. so In these two buckets that Ross has, if anybody would like to give donations, we would be extremely grateful. Um, We're going to have another core group meeting really soon, and we're going to try to work out the way that we're going to go forward. Uh, So, plans will be happening. Um, I'm taking this rain as a positive thing that our ideas are going to come to fruition. If anybody wants to come a bit closer, because I'm going to hand over the microphone to Mary in a minute. Uh, Mary has been running our nursery really successfully. Um, The
8: nursery started off quite small, with about 10 volunteers. At the moment, I'm managing 17, and we've had several offers today for more volunteers to come. We have four chooks who have to be looked after. They are eight years old and one of them is still laying. Um, <laughs> and the, the, the nursery has is a is one of the powerhouses of this organization and I am so thrilled to see everyone here today and the enormous support we have had. Thank you all very much.
5: With polluted air, yeah. with some enormous trees for shade, oh would it be lovely? What,
8: what we have is a garden, garden right here. here. We are right away from, from the polluted air. air. With their the enormous trees for shade oh isn't Isn't this just lovely lovely. (laughs) lots of veggies for us to eat lots of fruit so juicy and sweet fresh chard fresh kale fresh
2: peas oh so, um, we have a couple of councils here today, so I wanted to offer them the opportunity to just talk about the motion that they passed last week and, um, you know, the support that they have offered to give to Tree Place staying open. I'm not sure if Oscar or Sue want to um, say anything.
9: <laughs> well, as Ross and everyone has been saying, time is very, very short. And I am shocked that Uniting has done this to the community. Um, and I suspect one of the reasons they've done this, uh, like saying you've got to close at the end of August, is because they knew that a campaign like this was getting off the ground, and they wanted to try and act before the campaign got too strong. So I think there's a lot of design in what they've done. Um, so we don't have a lot of time, and I th- but I think it is important that the council has passed the motion of support that it has, because I think that does give, um, you know, some institutional support to the campaign, which I think is important as we go about trying to work out how we're going to save Peppertree Place. And I think, um, you know, I haven't been very involved in the nuts and bolts of the, of the campaign, but it, I get a sense that this is a campaign that can win. There's a lot of strength here, and and we need this strength because... Very soon, if the developers get away with it, we're going to have a sea of 19, 18, 16, 17-storey buildings across the road in Pentridge. Already, Coburg Lakes Reserve is overcrowded in summer, on a lot of summer days. So we actually need other open space, not just Coburg Lakes Reserve. So I think, um, even though Council doesn't own this site, I think it's in the interests of council and the whole community including people who've never heard of Pepper Tree Place that we save this place because we people need respite from the world and that is really what you get a sense of when you come to Pepper Tree Place. I find it really hard to describe Pepper Tree Place to people because it is so many things and I wouldn't swear that I know all of what Pepper Tree does. But it is, um, I feel, a sense of peace when I come to this this place. And there is another important organisation here that people might not be aware of if people have mainly come to the nursery or or use um, the community garden or or volunteering in other ways. At the front of the cottage, which is heritage listed, is an organisation called Community Information Centre. So what does that mean? Does it give out tourist information? No, it doesn't. What it means is it is the only organisation that gives out emergency relief in Coburg. The the Salvos have withdrawn from providing emergency... They do case management in North Coburg, but they've withdrawn from providing emergency relief. Now, that little centre, which is... um, Since they lost council funding, which is, you know shameful, um, really, um, they, they get a grant from the government to provide emergency relief. Basically, you know, I mean, food vouchers, not enough, but better than nothing, given how low new start allowance and how precarious work is and all the rest of it. It's entirely run by volunteers. There's no paid staff there. Some volunteers have been there for 27 years. But at the moment, they've paid their rent here up till November. What are they gonna do? Um, This is really critical. Uh, You know, people can see the number of homeless people who've been sleeping on the streets in Coburg, which never used to be the case. We never used to have this number of homeless people. So there are a lot of different components to Tree Place. Um, I would like to pay tribute to all the work that everyone's been doing to try and save the contacting of the different arms of the church and uniting and all the rest of it and getting the publicity out, and there's going to be some media. Um, and a paper I'm connected with, Green Left Weekly, has published a story, um, which is online and will be a hard copy next week. But I also think that if it comes to the end of the road with all of those, all of our attempts to negotiate and force them to um, to give us more time to work out a plan, I also think we need to be prepared to actually block the gate when it comes to the end of August, we actually need to be prepared to mount a community picket. Love it. So if we... Because if they're refusing to negotiate at the end of the line, if we really want to save this place, we have to... And I know people have been trying to be nice. We don't want to antagonise the church and uniting and all of that. But I actually think at the end of the line, that's that's what we need to be prepared to do if we're forced to go to that. Now, obviously... We don't want to have to do that if we don't in, don't need. But at the end of the line, we can't just accept that this place closes without a fight. Um, we have to fight to the end to try and save this. So um, I'd like to implore people... ..implore people to keep that in your mind, that that's something. Certainly, I like, we can't just let it go if they refuse to meet with us. We have to be prepared for some sort of demonstration, community picket, to stop them changing the locks and all of what uh, they want to do to this place. So,
2: save Tree Place! Woo-hoo! Thanks to Sue and Oscar. The, this site was leased by Uniting up until November. Um, there's a couple of tenants, as Sue mentioned, who are, who are located in the house at the front. Um, so we believe they've got, they're going to continue some involvement here until November. Um, we've, we've put it to them that they uh, allow the volunteers to continue operating here at the site and, until that time. Um, they're not keen on that but we're still working that, that angle. Um, but what we really want is ongoing access to the site and um, working out how we can find an interim lease um, for us and working with council. Um, council's been positive about how they might be able to support us in, in Auspice, um, a group going forward. Um, but, I mean, the big thing, as Ross said, is that this has just sprung up on us. We, we thought we had till November to sort something out, but they've got the jump on us and, and closed it quickly. So, we're we're trying, to, we're trying to scramble, we just need time to try and get some solutions together. There's lots of people in our community, I mean, let's you know the the things that coberg has saved over the time you know we've we managed to get a winner um high school for coberg back we've opened the pool there's so many things that this community has come together to save in over the time so we we know we can do it
3: yes they know they can do it you're on solidarity breakfast with annie and we're we're down at pepper tree place that's uh, pepper tree place is at 512 Sydney Road if you want to go down there and check it out in Coburg and it is a truly surprising place this whole story is about community fight back against uh the removal of absolutely uh imperative uh, uh provision for human uh interaction uh, uh human um Capacity to interact with each other, with the with nature, to understand the world around them in a way that it uh, brings uh, positive reinforcements, uh, and I was able to get a little bit more of an understanding of what was so important about Pepper Tree Place from people who were there last Saturday. Lots of people were there. They were actually aggrieved, highly aggrieved at the whole notion of, uh, and stunned.
10: Where did you come today? Oh, we've been coming here for the last 10 years. Yeah? Yep, and uh, we just want to want to stop them from closing this place, because it means so much to us.
3: How did you get to know about it?
10: Um, just by accident. We just were just walking past uh, about 10 years ago and uh, we have a large garden at home and we came across the nursery. And and so do you get to speak to people when you come here? Absolutely, yes. We we often come here, uh, we come here at least once a month, a lot more often because we go to the nursery um, and we started off, we Got a lot of plants from the nursery when we first set up our garden about 2009 and now we've set up the garden we uh, try to donate plants to the nursery to keep yeah. uh, keep it going.
3: It's a very uh, built up area in Coburg it so is. it's a very nice sort of thing yeah. to come across isn't it?
10: Yeah, I mean we're very lucky we still live on a quarter acre block but lots of people uh, uh, don't have that kind of space available anymore. Do you want to add anything? Oh,
5: no, I love this place. Yeah, I love this place. I hope it doesn't close.
3: G'day, you guys. I'm from 3CR. Can you tell me why you've come here today, why it's important?
11: Uh, I volunteer here. Oh, do you?
3: Yeah. Okay, and the what do you do?
11: Centre. I work in the garden centre. Yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah. How long have you been working here?
11: Uh, four years, Yeah. roughly, on and off.
3: Were you surprised to hear that they were expecting to close it? Uh,
11: yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so quickly, yeah.
12: yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, and also I noticed, what, September, isn't that the growing period? Isn't that spring?
11: Yeah, that's the spring fiesta normally. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big time. Yeah.
3: So they really, the timing was impeccable.
11: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah.
3: Can I ask you, why do you come here often? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, do you like it here?
13: Yes, I love it.
3: Yeah, what do you do here?
13: Uh, we get plants because we have a small garden at our place. Yeah, so that's why we come here.
3: It's nice to have uh, more than your own backyard, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. A bit of space.
13: Yeah. yeah. So we um, live in Hadfield. Yeah. So we usually ride down here to get some plants, support the place. Yeah. yeah.
3: So it's an excursion yeah. for you guys. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how disappointing to think that it might close.
13: Mm. It's very sad, yes. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, I I'm very sad, yeah.
3: Are you interested in how the community's come together and is going to fight it?
13: Yeah, I am. Because, um, like, there's heaps of people who have come here and they've, they're supporting it very well. So, like, I don't think it's going to close. Like, I reckon we can do this.
3: Thanks. You're welcome. I'm walking around Peppermint Place. It's got uh, paths, gardens, a bluestone. Shed, an old building up the front that they were talking about, which is uh, heritage listed. A huge nursery down here. It's very surprising. It uh, goes up against the primary school. There's pepper trees, which I presume is where they get the name from. Very surprising to think that such uh, work should go to waste. Very surprising to find it in the middle of Coburg too. Do you come down here often? I'm from 3CR. Ah, um,
11: I've come here a few times. Um, I mostly volunteer at Series. Um, it's kind of a, quite a similar.
3: It's like a little, a little version, isn't it? Yeah. It's quite surprising to find such a place right next to Sydney Road.
11: Yeah, most definitely. And it's a great communal feel that it has. Yeah. And it's a great turnout today.
3: Yeah. And you can tell that it's a great place because I used to keep chooks and these guys are very sprightly.
11: Yeah, they look like they're in a happy environment, which is the main thing.
3: Yes, and they came up to the fence to say hello to us.
11: <laughs> they did. I think they want some, uh, some more weeds or food <laughs> by the looks of things. Hmm. Um, I've had a few friends who have done workshops here before, yeah. so that's kind of where I'd heard mostly of it. And always passed through going along Sydney Road. No I've been meaning to stop past. So I think this was a, a good time to rally together yeah. and hopefully see what happens.
3: Do you want to tell me why you come here?
14: Yes, I come here. I think, I think um, Sue Bolton said, you know, it's hard to describe the place, but it's such a calming, relaxing spot to come to. You do feel like you're away from the rest of the world when you come here. And the community, there's people from all sorts of walks of life and ages and it's just wonderful to mix in that community. You don't get to do that much these days, do you? Like, no, you don't. No. No. It's, people are sort of, you know, when you've got kids, you're sort of with people with other kids and stuff like that, but this is a broad range of people and it's wonderful.
3: Was it a shock to hear that they were thinking of ch- uh, closing it?
14: Absolutely, because of how much work's gone into it and all the... Um, I mean, apart from all the plants, it's the structures, it's the, um, it's the decorations. It's, uh, you know, there's so much going on in this garden. How, why would you waste it all?
3: Also, no consultation with the community that uh, uses it. What, uh, it seems very far out kind of approach for a social welfare organisation.
14: I don't understand that at all the fact that they, they had the, I mean, it's been running with the help of volunteers, people who put all their time and energy in for no, co- you know, no charge, um, put their heart and soul in and, and to just, you know, close it without proper um, consultation or any feeling for those people. That's, it appears to be they've got no feelings at all for, for the heart of this place and that's really sad.
3: Do you think they want the land?
14: Um, well, my understanding is that they, they there's no plans for the land, but you can't help but wonder because of the development that's going on around this area, and you know it's it's hard to believe um, that they don't want want it, you know, for some other purpose. And once Pepper Tree, if Pepper Tree Place goes, what will? you'll just have land with no purpose? That doesn't
15: make sense to me. Uh, so I wrote this song just over the, the last two or three weeks. I put it together quite quickly. Um, and I've recorded um, a demo of it, of it. If you want to share it, it's online. You just Google Ukulele Yui Safe Pepper Tree Place and you'll find it. And I had so little time to record it, it's basically done in my kitchen and you hear a door slamming at the end. So, yeah, no frills. Um, yeah, now, before I actually sing this, let's see if uh, I can get you to practice the chorus with me. Um, it's not too difficult. It goes um, Save Pepper Tree Place! Save Pepper Tree Place! Save Pepper Tree Place! Don't let a good thing go to waste! Okay. think right. you can manage yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, alright. Let's see how I go. Um, it's a fairly short song. It's got about five verses. Lots of Um, choruses. I have to remember my lines now. Uh. Pepper Tree Place, Pepper Tree Place, I like to go there on a Saturday, have a cup of coffee at the open gate. Peppertree Place, Peppertree Place, life's a journey, not a race. Let's not bang on about money all the time. Save Peppertree Place, come on. Save Peppertree Place, everybody. Save Peppertree Place, don't let a good thing go to waste. Nice one. Peppertree Place, Peppertree Place, if you want to see a friendly face, just get yourself down here any day of the week. Peppertree Place, Peppertree Place, let me cut right to the chase, let's reopen the Saturday Cafe. Save Peppertree Place, Save Peppertree Place, Save Peppertree Place, don't let a good thing go away.
3: One love to all the people in Melbourne This come down to Rasta's Journey Home A movie made by Dr Maria Stratford Special benefit screening It's on Tuesday 28 August 2018 15 pm to 7.30pm Tonbury Picture House 802 High Street Tonbury Finalist Africa World Documentary Film Festival And it's on Ethnograph Film Official Selections and Harlem International Film Festival 2017. You can get a ticket at the Peace and love. Rasta's Journey Home. It's uh, a 3CR benefit. And uh, if you're a 3CR member, you will get a discount price. It's on the Tuesday. 28th of August 615, Thornbury Picture House along High Street in Thornbury. And uh, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie. And we're going to move on to a uh, piece that was uh, given to me by uh, Vivian Langford. Now Vivian is talking to Andy Merrifield and it sort of goes along the same theme that we've just been uh, following, the track we've been following, which is the importance of community and places like Pepper Tree Place. Uh, She went off to the Global The Global Sustainability City Summit? No? No, it's the Global Eco-City Summit. Problem with my own writing. Fancy not being able to read your own writing. Global Echo city Summit. And she spoke to a fellow called Andy Merrifield. And uh, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but it uh, talks to the same themes. So uh, let's move on.
12: I'm still at the Global Eco-City Summit and I've found a person who was very fresh on the stage. He's an English person called uh, Dr Andy Merrifield and he's been explaining a little bit of his background to me, which is an author of many books and the latest one that you might be interested in, listeners, is called The New Urban Quest. So we talk about eco-cities and human development within that with climate change breathing down our necks all the time. But Andy... Start by telling us about your books, your path. How did you get here to this World Summit?
16: I decided that in 2003 that I wanted to get out of academia. Mm. So since then I've become a freelance writer, wanderer. Yeah. I've written a book about living in France where I've lived for seven, eight years uh, up until 2011.
12: Tell us about that one, The Wisdom of a Donkey. The Wisdom of Donkeys was a book that... Uh,
16: if I can be completely honest, it was probably a little bit of a mid-life, midlife crisis for me. I felt like I'd written a lot about cities. Uh, I was living in New York at the time. I, I, had, a bad, I, I had a bad fit with the university I was mm. teaching at. I decided I wanted to get out. We had a chance to go and live in France because my wife was getting a job mm. in, in Switzerland. And so I decided to quit. And I decided I was going to reconsider what I was doing hitherto. And I just wanted to write about and get interested in something else. So I had this. It was a time when the Iraqi war was on, uh, so everybody was really warlike, and it was really very depressing. And it was quite, quite reassuring in in France because um, Dominique de Villepin, one of the ministers, stood up to Colin Powell about signing the declaration to invade Iraq. The French sort of decided not to do it. I was living in France, so I felt quite happy to be dissociated, but I wanted to write a book that was somehow um, a critique of the value system that I saw around me. Mm -hmm. Everybody was warlike, and I had this idea if I did a donkey, went walking with a donkey and tried to get into the the mindset of a donkey, then it could be a metaphor to think about life, because a donkey is a very peaceable Mm -hmm. animal. Mm -hmm. Everybody was super high-tech, and the world's going faster and faster. I wanted to go slow in a low-tech way, all across the french countryside and be meditative yeah. when people don't seem to have the luxury anymore to be meditative because life is such a whirl and a and a, and, a, and an anxiety attack about you know about commuting and about work and about you know paying the bills and yeah. so i wanted to opt out from that and i wanted to try and write about it in my current state of mind at the time which was somewhat uh, psychologically fraught mm-hmm. but really to consider the way in which the world was operating and the donkey book became my, my, my catharsis and my act of relief, going slowly, renting a donkey, spending two weeks with a donkey yeah. and writing about it in, in, the way, in, the, in the footsteps, as it were, of, yeah. of Robert Louis Stevenson.
12: Well, a lot of people go on those Santiago de Compostela pilgrimages. Now, it seems to be a trendy thing for people to slow down and it's obviously a a thing that city people, we're talking about eco-cities, we're talking about climate change breathing down our necks. We may be the last generation or the next generation may be the last generation in a livable climate. That's, to me, the reality. Uh, But I don't know if the listeners will indulge me in this, but while you were speaking, I was thinking of a, a... A series of photos I saw by Émile Aceh, which was Paris, before Paris was sort of demolished and rebuilt as a marvellous modern, clean, wide, avenued city and it was really so full of these little enclaves and it looked so interesting and the films that went with it there were films shown at the Art Gallery as well and they showed people in cafes all talking and I think you were talking today about how our cities, we're citizens of these cities but we're somehow locked out of participating in the city. Decisions are made over our heads and we now know we're facing these massive Problems and yet cities aren't livable. They aren't. They aren't affordable, and we don't participate in them. Is that are you thinking? There's some need to change democracy or or people's citizenship. Is that what you're sort of getting at?
16: Yeah, people need to have, take ownership. I think need to. They feel like they've been disempowered in the city, and uh, one of the one of the issues which is a reality is that cities just don 't seem to be even run by politicians anymore. they seem to be run by accountants and it 's accountants that somehow decide what is valuable and what is you know is is, is, is worthless within the public realm so it 's the it 's the accountants that tot up the, the worth of public assets so we 've had the big four accountancy companies step in and we 've had uh, government at every scale want to privatize public assets and then you get you get the accountants come in and negotiate. Uh, subcontractors that offer those same public services, but through private privatized means, mm. and I think people then become very um, very frustrated because it seems like even the public representatives don 't even know anymore who 's in control, and no. um, which is not very reassuring for citizens when their own elected representatives seem to be somehow controlled by unelected, mm. invisible, unaccountable agents that seem to lurk behind behind the scenes. <laughs>
12: i say, look, just the terrible fire at the Grenfell Towers. We saw videos, or I saw a video of Je- uh, Jeremy Corbyn and the local representative of that area going around talking to the people. They obviously knew everybody. They were talking to them in soft voices. It was just a real-time video. It wasn't a propaganda piece. And right. I thought, oh, this is great. This is this is what public representatives really are for. They're there to yeah. take in what you, what's happened to you, how upset you are, how angry you are, and that there's another layer of that because it sounds like that cladding on that building was for insulation as well as beautification, but it was for insulation and to feel so betrayed that the builders could use a, you know, a bodgy material that's not safe for people, and I felt that the Corbyn and the other one, the local representative, were just sincerely taking it in, the the shockwave of that for the people. So.
16: Corbyn is, I think, part of his attraction to a lot of people is that he seems to be, people talk about him being authentic, mm. even talk about him being an amateur. Yeah. My latest book was about amateurism in a world of hyper-professionalization. And he seems, uh, he doesn't use auto cue when he speaks. Journalists are always slightly perplexed because he seems to know the issues without having to be mm-hmm. prompted by somebody who's written his script. Mm-hmm. And he does seem to be genuinely quite, you know, a very, a very honest, sincere, able guy. Um, I would say he doesn't have the big personality for the spectacle politics that we think of today, and he's had a lot of bad media coverage. But the Grenfell Tower, just moving on to that, is I think is a is is a, is a significant event that's happened now because it really yeah. just highlights uh, at the same time as we've had all this boosterist about London. London is always uh, puffing itself up as the world's you know greatest city yeah. and the world's best this and uh, the global city and it's and it and, it, and it's. Obviously, it's done very well in terms of e- its ecological questions about reducing fossil uh, carbon emissions. But this has, seems to be the, the uh, what, I, what I was when I was talking today at the at the Eco Summit about uh, the way in which we've had uh, questions of of, of of ecology and and the environment being addressed through what seemed to be market oriented strategies at the same time as we had. A public sector that is being, you know, completely, uh, completely uh, attacked and aggrieved by mm. by private forces. Grenfell Tower was uh, a, a long story that is really rooted in Thatcherism. When the right to buy program uh, that she had in the nineteen eighties mm. enabled people to buy their own properties, which seemed a very interesting mm. yeah. uh, concept, but f- for a while seemed to gain some popular momentum, but. 30 years later, it seems that a lot of those right-to-buy have now gone into absentee landlords. They've been, they've been bought speculatively. And Grenfell Tower is run by a, 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 a private management company who uh, uh, put out a, a collective bid, a tender, for replacement of the thermal cladding. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the exact figures, but it turned out that there was a more expensive bid uh, that was going to have some thoroughly, alu- I think, full of aluminium and completely f- uh, flame-proof and mm. not, non-flammable. Mm. But they decided to cut costs because they could save two and a half million pounds and they put uh, this thermal cladding insulation mm. that was um, not absolutely 100% non-flammable yeah. and with those kind of consequences.
12: Something you said that was very interesting, I thought, was that England is going ahead with climate change Measures you know advancing with renewable energy, public transport, smog tax or what you know taxes for to reduce the amount of transport, congestion, and so on but and I, I would have thought that tower was an example of you know putting insulation on public buildings i had thought oh that's a sign of enlightenment but you said it seems to be easier for a big society like the uk to go ahead with climate action measures than it is to reduce um, the homelessness or to make life more livable in the cities to make the hospital schools all those welfare things that you had in the welfare state era you know those things have all just been eroded why do you think that is
16: Hmm. that 's a good question I, I said that to be provocative because I, I do believe that it is the case it 's not to undermine the advances that are being made with, with addressing climate change. I think you know it 's very admirable Sadiq Khan, the mayor of london is is, a, is committed to' is committed to c forty they 've done incredible things around that, but it, what always perplexed me is that the city, uh, city of london uh, including the city of London, the financial sector seems to be uh, it seems to be uh, it seems to be somewhere that's run by uh, hedge funders, by financial institutions, by, by big business. And what always struck me was that it becomes an almost inaffordable place for people to live. And signs of, uh, of, a, of, a, of a buoyant economy in London are when the property prices are skyrocketing that nobody can afford, apart yeah. from you know, billionaire investors, a lot of whom come from China, Russia... Uh, no, no matter where. In fact, Greece as well. It's, it's, it's ironic yeah. that a lot of the investors have come from Greece, given Greece's economy is in such poor shape. <laughs> Somebody's made a lot of money <laughs> from, the, from the financial crisis there yeah. and the uh, and the, Euro, the eurozone meltdown. Uh, that it's, It struck me as very odd that you can make all these gains on the ec- ecological level and climate change level. At the same time, you can have some of these social equity issues that, are always struggling to um, think about taxing uh, financial corporations, mm-hmm. get hedge funders to, 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 to pay their, their first share. How those realities seem to be something off the political spectrum. It's almost as if the, the political has, has, its, has its domain where one can intervene within the climate, yet Yeah. when the political starts to intervene within the economic, it starts, to, it starts to face really, really big resistance.
12: Do you think we're sort of rudderless in the way of ideology, that we don't really have a game plan for our whole society?
16: No, I don't think we're rudderless. I think plenty of people have got some fantastic ideas. It's just that they, they, they find that they, have, they get opposition. You know, they have what seem to be sane ideas around, around, around climate change and addressing some of the environmental concerns, yet they meet in lobbies that mm. have got vested interest. Uh, the classic example is you know, is what's going on in... In the United States, you know, uh, in my talk I mentioned that some of the cities in in Michigan have banned use of plastic bags, but the state of of, of Michigan has decided that they want to ban the ban because the Restaurant Association has lobbied against it, as ditto in, in Texas where some of the cities, Austin, for example, a very progressive city, has banned fracking from the city, yet the state has banned the ban on fracking because of the lobby from from the from the from the oil industry, and that sounds very
3: much like the time that we should move on, to uh, because of the uh, fact that it uh, reverber rever- is so similar to what's uh, happening in Australia. We're going to have to move on because we've got uh, Kevin is live because everything was happening and everything was up in the air, and uh, he had to know what the vote was going to be. G'day, Kevin. How are you?
4: Morning Annie, yeah, well yesterday a normal recording time they hadn't even met, but um, look just, just on the theme of this morning's program, though I'm going to give a, a free plug for City Limits next Wednesday because we're also doing the Peppermint Place issue, um, and we're also going to go up to the Mackay Conservation Group and talk about the 400 and whatever it was million grant to the <laughs> big polluters to um, to stop their own pollution, which is a pretty good one from the federal government. So,
3: How yeah, good uh, on you.
4: Free plug. Um, <clears throat> okay, let's go. A weak solidarity bricky team listener when there were major differences at the top levels of government as US of the UN, of the US of the world, big supremo Donald Trump or the poor attacked his former pay them to keep quiet and keep the dirt from the door lawyer. We'll return to that story and also a bit of difference within government in that USI of offshoot, USI of acolyte, True Blue Aussie, where the Minister for Concentration Camps, razor wire and sink the boats and keeping us secure, well, possibly former Minister Constable Peter Dupper's brilliance shone through as he failed Grade One arithmetic. Do. But like do-re-me, let's start at the very beginning of the week, which kicked off with former big supremo Malcolm of Bull, Well, he started the week as Tunnable and ended it as Malcolm Terminal. Malcolm's resolute, stalwart, unswerving leadership further cheering up the nation no end. A strong leader and one of the fossils who determine our fossil energy we can't afford to save the planet policy, Craig Killy the Planet, said Malcolm showed leadership strength by capitulating one hundred percent and abandoning the latest watered down or fossiled up version of an energy policy, energy policy number one eighty three, known as negative, as leading negative former Big Supremo tiny a bit more for the bosses. As an aside, given Tiny promised he would not be a wrecker, the mind boggles at what he might have got up to if he was. And Tiny, who helped force Malcolm to abandon Watered Down Policy 183, then attacked Malcolm for abandoning Watered Down Policy 183. Ah uh, Yes, you've always said you believe in climate change and the need to address it, Malcolm. And I do. But I believed even more in being Big Supremo. Not for myself, of course, but so I could give the country the strong, resolute, unflinching leadership it needs. Well, that tactic worked a treat. Behind him... In this giant fossil's tailings dam, we caught the last sight of the negative energy non-policy sinking into the depths, and with it sharing the glug, glug, glug. We also caught the last sight of that other holy grail tax cuts for the filthy rich, and by weeks end more, glug, 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 as we saw Malcolm himself sinking into the mire. Then as we turned away... Glug, glug, glug again, and spinning around, we caught this huge bald pate about to go under. We have to admire the extreme poverty in the caring business class party when their choice for alternate leader was Constable Duffer. Imagine if he had mastered grade one arithmetic, overseas leaders seeing that skull arrive. You mean that moron's their big supremo? Oh, the embarrassment. But then the Socialist Party has got little Billy Shorten Ambition, and the Hayseed and Sheepshit Party had Barnacle, and scuttled them more less on ended up Big Supremo. So the depth of quality obviously runs deep across the parliamentary board. That bald pate we last saw sinking into the mire, presumably Constable Duffer, had been struck heavily by its own baton, but thankfully there was no chance of it doing any damage. And with the member for Corangamite in mind, who objected to her seat being renamed Cox, I don't want to be the member for Cox. We asked Pete, before he disappeared, where he represented. I'm, uh, like, you know, uh, you know, like, uh, Dick's son? Uh, yes, we know that, but what's your seat called? I just, you know, like told you, a dick son. Imagine the excitement in those Pacific Island paradises where True Blue Aussie makes the no proper papers, queue jumping, illegal boat people feel so at home, Nauru and Manus Island, as the big Supremo stakes came down to the past two ministers for concentration camps, razor wire, and sink the boats after they had quickly evicted the pesky woman. Well, the caring business class party has such respect for women. Thank goodness the tailing cesspool was so huge and so deep with constant new arrivals, glug, glug, glugging. And I'm sure we also all feel for poor Julie Bashup, the workers, former solicitor for the asbestos industry, just doing her job, making sure victims expired before they could get any of her clients' money. Anyway, imagine the Excitement under ruined menace. They must have thought all their Christmas islands had come at once. It doesn't matter who wins, they've both been like fathers to us, providing us with a home for years and years and years and years. Two of those items which disappeared into the mire, negative energy policy 183 and tax cuts for the filthy rich, had been led by the new deputy big supremo Josh M. Icebergs and our new big supremo respectively. So obviously the caring business class lot have high regard for failure, believe failure must be rewarded. Although in that case then, why did they get rid of Malcolm? The Tubla was capitalist review, P1 Thursday, happy picky labelled, it was a show of unity with Malcolm being loved by Scuttlebeam's co-conspirator in tax cuts for the filthy rich Matthias Rotten Tudor and Scuttlebeam himself. And what unity and loyalty. Because by the time the paper hit the streets, Matthias was standing behind Malcolm clutching this huge blood-covered knife. And with dripping knife still in hand, Matthias said the man he'd just stabbed, A2, Brutias, the man he'd just stabbed, will go down in history as having achieved great things for True Blue Aussie. Great things for True Blue Aussie? Don't know about you, Lister, but I can't think of one. Yet Malcolm said he was proud of his record, showing how easily pleased he is. He did list spending billions of our hard-earned on the merchants of death's weapons of mass destruction and smashing the construction unions. Some record... And finally, on the events which saw the press gallery having multiple orgasms all week, a leading Constable Duffer supporter, Conchita Fiery Ranch well, displayed a firm grip of policy and reality by telling the ABC the answer to homelessness in he was to cut immigration. <laughs> no, I've got no idea either, Lister. An explanation might have helped or, or might not. Conchita was Minister for Pacific Relations or Pacific Affairs or something, so we asked her what she had seen her role as. My role, isn't it obvious? Keep them out. Conchita sounds Italian, but, but obviously, therefore, you're of indigenous stock. Huh? I don't follow. The result of all of the above, of course, will mean so much to lazy, avaricious workers and evil unions across the country as they celebrate yet another report that real wages continue to fall behind the cost of living. Their caring employers in this so-called reporting season reporting record profits, but expressing their concern for those workers who made a minor contribution to those profits, like, say, 100%, over slow wages growth which they recognise as a problem, to which the week that was has regularly argued there seems to be a pretty simple answer, showing our ignorance of how the greatest little economic order of them all works, caring employers declaring they can't see any chance of real wage increases in the foreseeable future, which, given the caring employers' record in supporting wage rises of any sort, converted to plain English means never. Never. Then again, the poor, caring employers get sympathy from that great fighter for the working class, non-evil union, good, good, good union, the Shopping the Workers Association, which boasted it had reached a new agreement with Woolworth's Trillions, which lowered the workers' base rate, with friends like. But just a continuation of that association, good, good, good union's long record of radical sellouts. In the... Hang on, that's pretty confusing department. An Englishwoman, a doctor and her four-year-old daughter, were imprisoned for three days after landing in Dubai because she drank a glass of white wine on the plane. And, and here's the pretty confusing bit. She was flying on the local airline. So the mob who jailed her for drinking alcohol served her the alcohol. Uh... Uh, Oh, look, if it wasn't so early, I'd say, let's have a drink and forget about it. Still, she was luckier than that woman in Indonesia in other people's business this week, jailed for 18 months, this is true, for blasphemy, for complaining about the noise during prayers at a neighbouring mosque. Now, back to the big story, Donald. After his former long-term pay-up-to-get-me-out-of-trouble lawyer pleaded guilty to paying up, Donald said he knew nothing of the paying up but did know the paying up wasn't from donations or campaign funds, but was his own money. So obviously, seeing Donald do absolutely nothing about this, Donald so trusted this lawyer, he gave him open access to his own money. And Donald warned that no one should ever use this lawyer again. The worst lawyer ever, ever whom he had used for years, although it may be years before that becomes an issue. And this other guilty party, a former head of his campaign, was a great man who should never have been charged. Just ignore the minor fact a jury found him guilty. And he was a great man because he didn't break. Which, dare we say it, might indicate that if he did break, he might just have a few things to say about Donald. No, no, because one of Donald's current lawyers, Rudy, said Donald couldn't give evidence because the truth isn't the truth. Which must have former secretary for invading the whole world, Donald Rumsfeld, the Arabs, he of the you don't know what you don't know and you, you don't, etc., seething with jealousy. Finally, Donald attacked suggestions that in South Africa, white farmers' land could be acquired without compensation and warned South Africa of retribution over the injustice of all this, because Donald so hates injustice. Why? He condemns it every time someone attacks him. So, Donald, how did the white farmers get hold of the land in the first place? Quite legally, they printed the titles and defended them against illegal terrorist resistance by generously compensating the indigenous owners with steel and lead. Good, good. Oh, good. Good morning.
15: This is Iri Leke. You're here on 3CR 855 AM Community Radio. Also streaming on 3cr.org.au. Free West Papua, Papua Merdeka gets up one talks.
11: The Australian Plants Expo is a huge native plant fair coming up on September 8th and 9th in Eltham. There'll be books, art, giftware and talks by Philip Johnson, A.B. Bishop and Loretta Childs. There'll also be demonstrations and workshops on botanical art, propagation and native bonsai, as well as activities for children, refreshments and door prizes. Saturday and Sunday, September 8th and 9th, 10am to 4pm at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Contact at APSYarraYarra Yarra at gmail.com or call 0430 for more details. Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra is a 3CR supporter.
13: You're listening to 3CR, 855 AM, the voice of the community.
3: Yep those happy kids from Highwater, uh, we're now going to move on to uh, probably not a completely up, uplifting topic. We're going to talk not to it. Humphrey. <laughs> G'day, Humphrey.
1: Good day there. Yes. but it's more uplifting than other topics, we won't go there.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's true. The lunatics have taken over uh-huh. the asylum.
1: Oh, God, the National Gas Works, the Bulletin used to call it in the Bulletin's glory days. (laughs) But but anyway, we're not not even going to touch it. We've got things that the 3CR audience really want to hear about, the the state-of-the-class struggle and the global capital. And so we're coming up to the 10th anniversary of September 2008 when the whole system almost seized up. Um, It was really panic stations. Uh, across the world in September 2008 because what was happening was the banks weren't going to lend to each other and once that happens the whole system you know just freezes over so
3: they were so greedy they were so greedy that they almost exploded
1: well they well they weren't wasn't just the greed they didn't know what was going to happen next it was out of their control once the Lehman Brothers went down none of them could know who else was likely to go broke, so even if you thought, "Oh well, that bank's all right, but what about the bank's creditors? What if they went down and took that bank down with them and you were lending money to that bank? you'd go down too so I like little you know sort of you know sort of crabs and things they. They were forced in you know, order to survive, and it was only the intervention of the governments, of course, that stabilised that um, in 2008. Now, the four of the most dangerous words in um, economics have been described as, oh, but this time it's different.
6: <laughs> um,
3: or it's a time bit time like move, when you go for a walk and there's people with dogs and they say, "Oh, he, they don't bite. He won't they bite."
1: They don't bite. Well, friend of my, I mean, I was walking one day, <laughs> and three dogs came up, and one would said? oh, those two don't bite, but that one
8: will.
1: <laughs> and that's what we face now. So now, if it's what I would really want to point to today is that yes, this time it is different, but it's going to be worse. Uh, and I want to explain why I think it's going to be worse. I
3: told you, listeners, it was going to be uplifting.
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll spell out early on why I think it's worse on the, both the economic and the political front. Last time, they had a lot of ammunition that they could still fire. This time, when it, you know, because they all talk it's coming again. I mean, none of them are any doubt about that. All the experts say, yeah, well, there's another one somewhere there soon ish. Um, But all the firepower they had, they've actually used up. So what do they do next time? And the second thing is that in 2008, their own in the West, what we need to call the covert dictatorships of the bourgeoisie, were pretty firmly in place. Now, all of that political system has simply fallen apart on them. So they're starting behind the eight ball on both the economic front and on the political control front. And I want to go through that and begin to document that, but that's why it's likely to be worse. So that <laughs> if we think last time, that on a kind of uh, seismic scale, the 2008—you know—really yeah, it's 2006 to 2009. That's one of the other things to remember. Um, it starts in 2006 and, you know, really only blows. Well. The real eruption. There's
3: always a lead up, isn't it
1: 2008. Well, there has to. Well, the, well, I mean, one of the points we want to talk about before the year's over, not today, is that the lead up actually goes back at least 40 years before then. But as somebody
3: to said to me, you know, it's too long. A cycle ten years isn't just isn't just a you know it's just a cycle. It's not a disaster.
1: Well, the word crisis loses all meaning if yeah. you think it goes on for ten years. You know. um... Yeah, I mean, I've preferred to talk about the implosion um, of capital over the last ten years as a way of of escaping from the misuse of the word crisis. But let's get to this. Um, what what we saw um, and what we've really got to have an examination of is that if it was a seven point one shock uh, in, to, in in two thousand and eight. <laughs> and yet they had all these other equipment that the foundations of the buildings were still pretty strong. They you know, they could come in and rescue people, all of that, if we were thinking in earthquake terms. This time, the foundations have been so badly shaken, and they don't have all that um, ability to send in the rescue teams uh, on a political sense, because people just aren't listening to them anymore. Um, and you know they've gone off and you know done all their other things you know they've got populists in the Italian government and all of those things uh it's gone much 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 worse on them um so all it would need this time would not be a 7.1 shock even even a 5.1 shock would have the same impact as the bigger one last time
3: this sounds and, like uh sugar resistance
1: well ugh, yeah well i think we're way past the bliss point hmm. um in this case, uh, so some of the reason why we do need, and we're not going to do it today, to actually look at what what actually went on inside the crisis, and you know it's still worthwhile having another look at the doco, the inside job, um, but that only tells you the inner workings of, of what they were, real, of, of what the people moving the money around, yeah, to. the day to day stuff. This is not the
3: in, actual uh, tide yeah. and current.
1: Well, it doesn't go into the production crisis as to what was happening to capitalism over the previous forty or fifty years, as to what was going to get them to this point. But last week, well, no, uh, three weeks ago, I look now, uh, the Economist carried a headline: "The Last Crash and the Next One." Uh, but they are still only looking at the financial aspects as to the moving of money around. Uh, and now, we do need to pay attention to that. We can't just jump over all the details because history happens through all of those details. Um, and I have to say that much as we're all enjoying the Banking Royal Commission, it's not really helping us to see beyond the financial problems because it's focusing a lot of public attention back on how bad the banks are.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's like all our system. It's all about personalising and celebrity and and wow. a, a focus rather than the actual, what's actually happening.
1: Well, you know, and they talk about, oh, there's all this culture as if this is some mystical thing that goes around. You know, oh, there's only a bad culture in the bank. Or uh, yeah. And without looking at where banks necessarily fit into the capitalist system. Um, you cannot have you have never been able to have a capitalist system without a regime of credit um, it's just it's just inconceivable they're two completely different things if you take the, if you take the banking system out um, you you no longer have a capitalist system and we've got to look at that as to why because there's a movement between production capital financial capital, and commodity capital. And Marx is very, very clear about this all the way through volume two, which almost nobody reads, even though they claim to be Marxist. But so no, this is
3: uh, the uh, capitalism as a juggler.
1: Well, a very clever juggler in order to keep all, all, all the balls in the air at once. And amazingly, it does it most of the time, but doesn't do it all the time, and it can't, and again, Marx sets out to explain why that isn't happening. So where are we today? I mean, if I was saying in 2008 there was no... You know were, the, the banks had plenty of money. They just weren't game to lend it to each other for those, for those two or three weeks uh, because they were never sure they were going to see it again. And if you'd give your money to Deutsche Bank, which was going down the tubes, then it's still going down the tubes 10 years later. Uh, it's only held up by the German government because they're not game to let the big, one of the biggest banks in the world and the biggest German bank disappear down the tubes on them. But if there was a shortage of people reluctant to lend 10 years ago, the problem today is exactly the opposite for them. They're back to where we were before the crisis erupted in 2008. The investment trusts, are, who are the people who actually put this money around through them that they pass, hmm. they have 1.1 trillion Australian dollars that they can't find anywhere to put that would earn them any kind of income. 1.1 $1. 1 trillion. Now, that trillion, I have to say, is on top of all the money they've thrown at people who, you know, I wouldn't lend 10 bucks to and expect to get it back again. They've been lending it out to speculators, um, people with startups, fantasists like uh, our friend uh, Mr. Elon Musk. Uh, uh, they've been lending it, and this is perhaps even more dangerous, to a number of developing economies. The closest to us is Indonesia, uh, and the danger there, for instance, is what happens. I mean, it's okay. I mean, they've been lending them money. These people have been borrowing money when interest rates are virtually zero, and they know what the exchange rate was.
3: It's so One- interesting how important money is to people who are poor. Like it actually has value like it puts food on your table, puts yeah. a roof over your head. But once it gets to this level, it's actually like it's like a Magic Sweat or something.
1: Well, yeah, but it's important to them too because they've got to earn on it. Yeah. I mean, there's no point in just having this trillion. That's a disaster for them. But now the, the, the bot- bottom's
3: fallen out of, uh, out of this kind of uh, – there's no difference. They don't get any interest, right?
1: They don't get any interest. But the, what's happening to – the danger for the Indonesians, for example, is – that if their currency begins to fall, yeah. so that if you previously a own 100, yeah. and then your currency, the rupee has fallen only by 5% this year, but it means they now owe 105 and not 100. Mm. Now, I mean, that's, that's not exactly very cheering for our nearest developing neighbour. But in the case of the Argentine, things are much more dangerous. You know, a, a year ago, we reported that, up to my amazement, that they'd... Been, they set up a 100-year government bonds. You'd lend them money for 100 years. Now, the Argentine had defaulted six times in the last 100 years. So why would you lend them money for 100 years? I don't know, but they did. They oversubscribed these institutions because there was nowhere else to put the money. But now, about a year later, Buenos Aires has just had to borrow $65 billion from the IMF. This is
3: like taking a loan from cash converters or something.
1: Well, and then then going down the road and taking another loan from the next cash converters you come to. Yeah. Except, of course, that the IMF have much stricter controls over what they're going to do. So the kind of cost to the population of the Argentine is going to be pretty disastrous. But as we've seen in these countries before, it's likely to give rise to an enormous political reaction on them. That's but what surprise. it means for the Argentine mm. is that the peso has fallen by a third. Mm. So they owed 100. Now they owe 133. And it is a cycle. It will pull it down even further. Th- this is like, you know,
3: happen, like with Greece, you know. Who owns Greece oh, now?
1: Well, I mean, this is the question. I mean, if, if when the next one comes, what could any Greek government do that they haven't already done? Exactly. There's no economic movement left within within their own system. I mean, they've thrown everything at it. They've been forced to do all sorts of things. There's really nothing left for a whole range of these governments. Uh, That's why I said at the beginning that this time it's going to be worse for them, but even an even smaller shock. And the problem with the Argentine, and this is the other thing that the experts are talking about, the masters of the universe, is what happened in 2008 was the problem of contagion. They thought that, oh, well, there'll be a few bad loans, but that's all right, we'll be able to absorb them. The problem was that they spread from one institution across to the next. And the danger with places like the Argentine is if, if it begins... To, I mean, on this situation of its currency going down and therefore the interest payments having to go back up, which becomes a, a perpetuating spiral, they are then forced to default on on their loans and... That then becomes a contagion. Well, this the is the problem of them.
3: globalization, isn't it?
1: The well, fundamental it, problem I mean,
3: it, of, of capitalism.
1: Yeah, but I mean, this is the advantage of capitalism. I mean, I every strong point is also their weakness.
3: Weakness, yeah. Um, well, because I mean, we're getting don't get one without the other. Yeah, because we're getting. Yeah, well, that's right. Uh, because we're getting um, up to the end of the program. Um, can I move you to the covert yeah. dictatorships of the bourgeoisie? Sure, indeed. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is. I just love that, that term.
1: Uh, Well, I mean, what it's, you know, I mean, it is a basic Marxist Leninist term. I mean, there are overt dictatorships um, and you'd have to say uh, Kampuchea is now one of those. Uh, But countries like Australia, I mean, I've lived all my life and everyone listening to this program in Australia has lived under a covert dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. Yeah, I mean, that's what parliamentary democracy is. This is a class dictatorship, but it's not the open dictatorship. I mean, we had a protest here against what was happening to some cleaners on Thursday morning. Uh, the yes. police didn't turn up. No-one was going to shoot us. And the reason for that is that over the last couple of hundred years, working people have struggled to make sure that we are allowed to do these things. But the sheer fact of the matter still was that these poor cleaners were going to get screwed. They were going to lose their jobs. Um, and, there, you know, nothing in the law, as they found when they went to the Fair Work Commission, everything that had happened to them, all these terrible things that had happened to them, were things that had happened within the law. They were, the, the law was there to make sure that capital could screw people to get the surplus, more and more surplus value out of them. That's an essential part of the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, uh, but it's a it's a covert dictatorship. Now, the amount of, uh, you know, of 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 open repression that goes on in a society like Australia changes from time to time and, and from one area to another. Uh, but it's oh, a and, and to way. quote
3: and to quote uh, James Baldwin, and I identify with the oppressor.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, this you know what we see in Australia is. Yeah, parts of the of the situation that are getting tighter and tighter. Um you know, but we're still not you know, I mean as I've said on the programme before, if this were an open dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, an overt dictatorship, three CR would have been closed down. Yep. You know, I mean that's the other thing to remember. You say, Oh, you know, it's all you know, we're you know, we're moving towards a dictatorship. No, we're already in a dictatorship. It's just called We've got to realise what it is. It's the covert dictatorship of the bourgeoisie under which, we are, which we've all been operating. And it's our job, uh, as it's been of the historic job of the working class, to push back against that and to keep things like um, the capacity to organise in the workplace, to protest, to do all of these things. This is where the contest between the classes has to be fought out. Um, And if we get organised and we push, then we get a bit more opportunity to do things. And when we don't, and when they're able to break us, um, then the overt dictatorship uh, is able to get up... You know, they're able to, to, uh, to pull the strings a bit tighter. But that's where we're at. But if you look at what's happened in the world now... I mean, when 2008 happened... Um, There was a protest, as we will remember, called the Occupy Movement. But it's child's play compared to what you now see with Podemos in Spain, with what's happened. The whole of the political system that was in place in 2008 is no longer there. You had two-party systems across most of the world. You know, know, you're still in in the Greek situation, the Greek Socialist Party... Was still the major and uh, a big opposition force. It's now completely disappeared.
3: Yeah, uh, no.
1: the German social and so Democrat. so is
3: people's heart. It's a terrible thing.
1: Yeah, but you know these you know these organisations that were there holding the system in place for the ruling class, like the Socialist Party. <coughs> you know, I mean the <coughs> I mean all of those things. That the Social Democrat across europe the germans have disappeared um the french you know down to nine percent or something you know that's not there anymore um and so that when the next crisis strikes they're not going to have that first line of a kind of soft cushion between them and what they're going to have to do in in some kind of political sense so to be able to respond now On top of this, of course, economically, as I said, if you've got zero interest rates, as you have in Japan, sub-zero interest rates, amazingly, uh, what else can you do? I mean, how much lower can you go? There's nowhere else to go. And the Japanese, to go back to the economy for the moment, I mean, the Japanese spend a trillion dollars a year in pump priming, Hmm. year after year. And on top of that... And this is the bit that is, I don't know, one would have to say, a bit of a shock, I think, to some of us, um, is that they also spend $120 billion a year boosting their own stock market. Amazing. This is the Japanese government trying yeah, I to keep up. When I mean, you look at the Japanese stock market, it's always 22000 Yeah, well, the reason is that for years and years, this government has been buying shares in it. You know, it's a kind of, I mean, it's a kind of government Ponzi scheme in some amazing way. So that the combination of the political and that it is now out of control, um, where you do still have, well, I mean, can you say that the UK anymore has a two party system? Um, Probably not. Uh, You know, it's falling apart in so many different directions. And one of the bizarre things that's happening is that the the UK citizenry is so alarmed at what's going to happen if they can't get a deal as to how they're going to get out of the European Union. People in Britain are stockpiling spam. This is not a Monty Python joke about spam, spam and spam. No. This is a measure of where the world is up to. It's a, a class tiny, memory,
3: tiny, that's tiny, what it is. <laughs> well, it,
1: yeah, it it sure is that, but it's an indication of people thinking what the hell is going to happen next. You know, we don't expect the governments to ride into the rescue anymore. So that at a political level, at an economic level, things are in a much more parlous state even than they were in 2008. Although at the time it could have gone completely disastrously for the system if they'd hesitated a bit longer before the, the American government managed to actually decide. Oh yes, this is a real crisis. We're going to have to do something. At the moment, I mean, the American executive committee of the bourgeoisie had Mr. Trump yeah. to run it for them. Yeah. Uh, everywhere you look, it is not the yeah. You know, it's it's fallen apart on them.
3: Well, look uh, who we've got.
1: Ooh. Well, yeah, but, I mean, it's still holding here. Uh, you know, you've still got the problem here, and I think it got worse this week, that you've still got the people thinking, oh, well, we've still got the alternative for the ALP. Um, and not seeing that what is happening is that this is giving such a free ride to the ALP, the disaster on the other side, that they, the leaderships up there, uh, won't feel any of the obligation that they might have been under to get support from the unions and from the progressive forces in the society. And they'll just think, we're going to get a free ride. So instead of selling us out a week later, they'll be able to sell us out in 24 hours.
3: Oh, and on that cheery note,
1: and the prophecy We'll be back of ec- time right in the middle of the crisis 10 yeah. years ago. And we'll look at it again from a different angle. Okay, Annie. See you, mate. Bye-bye.
3: Uh, uh, on that note of uh, predictions of economic right water rafting in our future, uh, Solidarity Breakfast has come to its end. We were doing a long look at uh, Pepper Tree Place uh, and uh, its potential uh, closure and uh, looking at uh, urban environments and the things that you need to do as a community in order to save uh, what is there that makes it livable. We moved on to uh, Kevin's analysis of what's been happening over the last week and we've just been speaking to uh, Humphrey McQueen at the anniversary of the uh, disastrous financial crisis, global financial crisis 2008. And as he said... It was really 2006 to 2009 and to get ready for the next one on It's Coming Around. We're going to go out with uh, Crowded House. No, not Crowded House, Talking Heads. Isn't that funny? Crowded House, Talking Heads. Funny how your mind works. Burning Down the House because, uh, as someone pointed out, Burning Down the House was probably the theme song of uh, the Australian Parliament over the last week. Coming up next is uh, Asia Pacific Currents. Adios, amigos.